the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Our podcast is brought to you through partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece yours truly hosted, and I hope you will enjoy. I'm joined now by Bob Woodward, author of the brand new book, Fear. And I have read every word of it. Bob, welcome back. It's good to have you. Thank you. Uh, Evelyn Duffy, your assistant, begins the book. Elsa Walsh, your wife, ends it, the kindness lady. Uh, So you bookend your book with these two ladies in the era of Me Too. The sort of graciousness and appreciation of these two women is welcome. My hat tip to you. Well, no, they've worked. uh, I mean, they've lived their lives around getting this book out and getting it right and checking everything. And, uh, you know, as I say, uh, Evelyn was in spirit and uh, level of effort a co-author. Well, it's just a, it's a wonderful way to begin and end. Now, only one process question for me. Everyone spends time talking about Woodward about process. I only have one process question, then we'll go to the book. If, all, if one of your sources, uh, who you have taped, comes forward and publicly asks you to release those tapes, would you do so? Uh, well, yes, I think, uh, yes, uh, I think I would, uh, but I, <laughs> you know, I, th- this is meticulously done, trying to cross-reference everything and so forth, so I, I would expect uh, somebody uh, would not want to release uh, their information because they're confidential sources, and uh, as you know, I protect my sources, I think that's the one of the building blocks of good journalism and book writing. Yeah, but I just think people who have been critical of you in the public, all they have to do is say, hey, release my tapes, Bob, and we'll find out whether Gary Cohn said what he said and John Dowd said what he said and and Rob Porter said what they said. But now let's get to the substance. I believe if the president had actually read this book and their team had read this book, they would not have attacked the book. They would have spun it differently because there's a lot complimentary in this book, the most important of which is John Dowd firmly believes, the president's former lawyer, that the special counsel, Bob Mueller, has nothing. There's no collusion. There's not, it's all play to get to an 18 U.S.C. 1001 perjury trap, and that POTUS should never sit down. Is that a fair assessment of what John oh, Dowd well, believes? Yeah, until the end, and, and finally at the, the point where Dowd resigns because he uh, is convinced the president should not testify, uh, Dowd uh, concludes that uh, Mueller had played him for a sucker, got all of the cooperation of 37 witnesses, a million pages plus of campaign documents, 20,000 pages of White House documents. So in the end, uh, as he says to the president, he, he said, you were right. We can't trust Mueller. And I, I tell you, Bob Woodward, I read this book as a lawyer. I'm not a defense lawyer, although I was at justice. Dowd got played badly. Do you agree? Well, by, but he is the one who decided on the strategy, total cooperation. We're going to let you, uh, we're, we're opening the door completely. I mean, some of the most sensitive material was given to Mueller. Uh, he was delighted to have it. 
Uh, it is quite true that Dowd concluded from his own work. Remember, he spent eight, month, uh, eight months uh, on this intensely, uh, time with Mueller, time with the White House people, time with Trump, and he didn't see anything there until the end. So let's set aside the Comey firing, which is a constitutional law professor. No one will ever persuade me can be obstruction. And Rod Rosenstein has laid out reasons why, even if those weren't the president's reasons. Set aside the Comey firing. Did you, Bob Woodward, hear anything in your research and your interviews that sounded like espionage or collusion? Uh, I did not. And, uh, of course, I I looked for it, looked for it hard. And uh, so, you know, there we are. We're, we're going to see what Mueller has, and Dowd may be right. He has something that Dowd and the president don't know about, a secret witness or somebody who has uh, changed their testimony, as you know. That often happens, and that can break open or turn a case. But you've seen no collusion. I have not. Let's go to the surprises in the book. So much has not been reported about fear. I want to tell you the most surprising thing. Page 132, quote, Russia had privately warned Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, that if there was a war in the Baltics, Russia would not hesitate to use tactical nuclear weapons against NATO. All right, Bob Woodward, that's a headline. Has anyone picked up on that? Uh, They have not. Very, very significant. And it's part of the argument that President Trump and uh, Dowd make, namely that this investigation... The Mueller investigation is tying the president's hands uh, in being president. And he cites some examples, and, and that's one of them. And, of course, that's, uh, that's pretty frightening. It is. Uh, Russia has never before threatened to use tax, tactical nuclear weapons against NATO since Russia became Russia after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So that's news breaking. Uh, yeah, I, that's a great question. I don't know whether this was the only time, but this time it did happen. And, and of course, the Secretary of Defense uh, was mightily concerned. Another headline not reported. John Brennan, former CIA director, vociferous critic of President Trump, wanted to assassinate Kim Jong-un in a way that didn't look like an assassination. You called it not regime change, but man change. Again, I don't see anyone else who's covered that. Well, he, he didn't say what he did is uh, presented it as an option. This is something you, you can do. And as the book uh, reports in some detail, President Obama, in his last months in office, uh, ordered the Pentagon and uh, the intelligence agencies to look at the question, suppose we conducted a preemptive strike on North Korea, could we eliminate all of Kim Jong-un's nuclear weapons? And they concluded they could not get them all, maybe 85, maybe 90 percent. And so uh, Obama, I I think, quite rightly concluded uh, this won't work. And one nuclear weapon uh, going off anywhere uh, would change history because we have not had that uh, since World War II. Some of the best reporting in the book is about O-Plan 5027. This is the plan for the preemptive strike on North Korea put together for President Obama that he reviewed. And the 2017 drills exercising were not secure. Civilian picked up the chatter on the low-level bombing runs. I was stunned by that. Yes. I, I mean, this is... In the 
they were really working options. And uh, as you well know, that's the job of the Pentagon, of the intelligence people, and ultimately of the president. Uh, Page 98, a source tells you that President Obama and his team, they've been hiding the problem. That's a quote about North Korea. They've been hiding the problem from the American people. Pretty devastating uh, assessment. How good is that source? Uh, Couldn't be better. And uh, it, it, you know, they did. And but at the end, as we know now publicly, President Obama said to President Trump, "It's North Korea that will keep you up at night." And but but they had been hiding that from us. I just it's great reporting. Now um, your assessment, your analysis on page two thirty six. You start at one hundred points with President Trump. The closer you are, the further away you get. I think that's very astute, Bob Woodward, that you kind of run through your credit with him and then you're depleted. And like Rex Tillerson or Reince Priebus, you go, even though Reince is still close to him and talks to him a lot. Yes, exactly. And it, uh, you know, he uses people. Now, look, all presidents use people, but there is a, a, a kind of insulting tone often. I mean, it's not just a tone. He insults people. And uh, I think if you're, you're looking for what's this book about, it's about mismanaging the presidency that uh, so often I was I was struck by just the simple fact that Trump would do things that are not in his own interest. If he would just kind of have advisors or listen and count to ten uh, he and so, what's the what is one of the realities of the Trump presidency? There is a war on truth. We see it now in his statements about Puerto Rico. It, it it's not in his interest to make these claims. Although, if he were not using what Conrad Black calls, Lord Black calls it truthful hyperbole, and in the art of the deal, he emphasized exaggeration, he wouldn't be Trump. And if he wasn't Trump. He wouldn't have gotten done what he's got. Now, the good side of Trump, I told people last night in a live audience, if you read Woodward's book, you're going to find two Trumps. There's good Trump and bad Trump. And good Trump is the guy who says on page 193, that's the only way I can be true to my base. He keeps his promises. He got out of the Paris deal, which I applaud. He gets out of the trade deals, which I criticize. But he was very strategic. You're, you're accounting on page 267, taxes first, then trade. And a long argument had to be true on the trade stuff. But he was going to get taxes done first. That's very strategic, Bob Woodward. Yes, but the, 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 often there's no strategy. For instance, the issue of China and uh, trade violations. He had the chance to mobilize the world against China, but he went off on his own. And the, and the whole plan was, let's do this. Let's get uh, our allies. Let's get uh, Europe. Let's get literally the world and the world knows China cheats on trade and there was a failure to mobilize that and then he just went off on his own and again this is a case of him doing things that just are not in his interest not in the country's interest but he has a core belief what I'll come back to the Afghanistan conversations I am glad we're in Afghanistan I think it's a forward operating base in the world close to Pakistan and its nukes I don't want to leave but President Trump has not been persuaded by many many different advisors and on page 257 he said we've lost all these lives we spent all this money 
You know, it sounded to me like the recollection that Kennedy was having about Vietnam and maybe clarity that no other president has had about the, the graveyard of empires, Bob Woodward. Well, I, he, he makes his argument, but then he gives in to the generals who want uh, several thousand more troops. They change the rules of engagement. They do things. Uh, key maneuver, uh, key part of Trump's strategy on this is we are not going to announce the number of troops that we have. So, and so much of the coverage of the Afghan war going back to 2001 was the debate, how many troops are going in, how many troops are coming out. And he and Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, just said, nope, we're not doing that anymore. At the same time, there is a meeting July 19th of last year on Afghanistan, where the the president berates uh, the generals and in the tank. The, yeah, in the ta- in the tank. Is that the one you describe in the no, tank no, at the Pentagon? This Different is one. A day before the tank meeting, and the president says the soldiers on the ground could run things better than you. There's a 25 minute dressing down of the generals. He said. Trump says, well, why can't we hire mercenaries to do this? I mean, you know the trap of hiring mercenaries. Uh, And then Mattis says to the president, we need to know if the commander-in-chief is fully with us or not. We can't fight a half-assed war anymore. Mattis comes off very well in this book, as does a number of other people, Mike Pompeo and and, uh, uh, Gina Haspel-Pence. Let me let me say to you, though, there, there's a Yago and there's a Loki. The goddess of the god of mischief in the White House is Peter Navarro. Now, I've known him for 20 years, Bob Woodward. Uh, he's affable. He's completely amiable. He's very seductive. And he's a quack. And if you line up 100 economists, 100 trade economists and 99 of them say, A, he'll say B. And that to me is like if you have 100 cancer oncologists and they say, treat your cancer this way. And one guy says, Laetrile. Well, that's the equivalent of Peter Navarro. And I think Gary Cohn said. He is the source of all, or no, John Kelly. Peter Navarro is the source of all the chaos in the White House, right? Yes, and and, and central to understanding Peter Navarro's role, he believes very much like the president and Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, that these trade deficits with other countries are a disaster. And any, as you say, you line up 100 economists in 99 of them are going to say, actually, the trade deficits benefit people in the United States because we are buying things abroad, cheaper, better quality. If they weren't cheaper, if they weren't better quality in the marketplace, they would not uh, they w- they would not be bought. They would not be competitive. And this actually is something. These trade deficits help Americans. I, don't know whether you would agree with this economically, but they do because they have more money to spend on other things. They also have money to save, which is crucial, as you know. Bob, I do agree with that, although I think the president intuits that the trade deficit is a proxy for a calculation of power imbalance and that as a proxy for power imbalance, a trade deficit is sort of a warning sign that the power imbalance is occurring because of bad deals. That's his intuition. I don't think it's he's right economically. He might be right geopolitically. That's very abstract. You it know. is very abstract, yeah. but, that, but I, I think mean, that's and, his and guy. As we know, Trump does not think abstractly. 
Uh, but he got, his gut does. I, I mean, I, I think he's much more of an instinctual leader than anybody gets. Now, let me go. Let me get to some other stuff here. I don't okay, want to. You really went through this. Oh, I, I've got so many notes. It's obvious to me. You don't have to confirm or deny that the people who didn't talk to you are Pence, Pompeo, Tom Cotton, John Bolton, Jim Mattis and Gina Haspel. And therefore, the president can trust those people. But one guy who did talk to you is Tillerson. And I got to say, the portrait of Rex Tillerson is he was a disaster. How could you not tell your national security advisor about Qatar? I mean, how could you not tell McMaster that you're doing that to people? Because that that is one of the shocking things. Tillerson goes off on his own. Qatar, the oil rich, uh, very small country in the Middle East, very important because of all the oil wealth they have, he goes off and makes a deal, uh, uh, signs a a memo of understanding with the gutter foreign minister on terrorism and the financing, attacking the financing of terrorism. Very important. Literally. Yeah. The national security advisor learns about this from reading it in the press. And, uh, you know, you know how do you do this? Uh, there's no, there is this kind of is is McMaster says to people in the White House said he's trying to cooperate and do what the president wants. There, Tillerson and Mattis, who were is uh, they are called the team of two, would often go off on their own, and there is a confrontation in the chief of staff's office, which I think is one of the critical moments where McMaster comes in, it's supposed to be a review between Priebus and Tillerson, and, and, and sits there and then just unleashes and says, you are undermining the, the whole national security process to Tillerson. And Tillerson makes it very, very clear. He runs the State Department. Don't contact anyone. Don't even contact. You're not going to get any approval on anything from his chief of staff, you have to do it directly with him. Yeah, and, and what's amazing, Tillerson was such a bad secretary. Nice man, but a bad secretary of state. It's no strategic grasp, no vision. Whereas the guy who had it right, Jared Kushner, you write about this at length, he called the shot on MBS, the new leader of Saudi Arabia, the crown prince. He called Didn't that he? shot. I mean, all by himself, essentially. <laughs> and there's a meeting uh, of the top cabinet people, and they're all saying, oh, no, this guy, all the intel people are saying, MBS, uh, who was then deputy crown prince, is uh, not the person to deal with. And Jared Kushner, who has good context through Israeli intelligence, by the way, which is critical here, says, well, let's try it. And the whole summit uh, in Saudi Arabia, President Trump's first visit uh, abroad was to Saudi Arabia, and they they set up a, a team, United States, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf Cooperation uh, Council countries, and Israel, and it's all about thwarting Iran. And boy, it does fear, my, my highest compliment to fear is, you lay out the reality of Iran because obviously people around Mattis have talked to you, and Mattis gets Iran. He knows Soleimani is a threat. The president gets Iran because of Mattis and because of Jared. They understand that. They, they know that that is a rogue regime and the JCPOA is not to be trusted. 
What do you make, by the way, John Kerry is my guest two days ago. He admitted that he's been holding meetings with uh, Sharif since leaving office, three or four, maybe more. What do you that make of that? Tell people who Sharif is. So uh, He's the foreign minister of Iran. Right. Yeah. So uh, I was at the Aspen Security Forum, Bob Woodward, and Ali Shahabi, who is the head of the Arabian Institute, stood up and said, the Iranians seized our sailors under President Obama. They won't even come near your boats under Donald Trump. That's true, isn't it? Well, I th- yes, and, and then Trump has made it clear uh, he's going to be tough. If you look back on the Obama presidency, uh, he just wasn't tough enough. Uh, David Cameron, when he was British prime minister, uh, I talked to him about Obama and while Obama's president. He said, I like him. He's so smart, but no one's afraid of him. And you cannot operate in the world of Assad's and Putin's and you name the thugs around the world. How many Assad, Putin? Those are the big three. Yeah. And you, you've got to you've got to be tough with these people. And uh, so, Bob Woodward, this leads me to the assessment of fear. I want to airdrop hundreds of copies in every foreign embassy because it underscores the madman theory attributed to Nixon, my old boss and your old adversary, that. People around the world have got to think the guy in the White House is a little bit nuts. That sets up a strategic advantage. I think fear underscores you cannot reliably predict what Donald Trump will do, and you'd better not cross him. Fair? Uh, Yes, you can look at it, but you also have to manage. And this is a management disaster. And that's why I say there is a nervous breakdown of the executive power. There is. And you, too many people, I, I, I spent a year and a half, almost two years of my life on this, immersed spending hundreds of hours with the people dealing with the president and on the national security issues. We haven't got to the economic issues uh, in in detail. Uh, people are there. We don't know what he's going to order. We don't know what he's going to do. And as you know, you can't run the presidency on impulses. You can't run it out of the back of your pocket. And he's susceptible to quacks like Navarro. Uh, that's what makes me most upset. And, and Bannon, who is Yago, Bannon comes off as a very malignant force in this White House. Much, you know, Reince Priebus comes off as the angel of light, and Bannon is around playing to the president's worst instincts. I'm glad he's... I've, I've talked to him once in my life. I don't know him. But I want to get just a couple more things before I run out of time with sure. you. His branding... He wanted to call the tax cut bill, this is in your book, Fear, the cut, 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 cut bill. And you know what? If they had done that, it would be better branded than it is today. But they wouldn't listen to him, Bob Woodward. Well, in the day is Congress. Yes, uh, Paul Ryan. Gonna, and Yeah, yeah, they were going to do it their way. Um, the tax cut, I have a whole chapter on this, and um, as I point out, you have five conservative Republicans on the Hill, and Gary Cohen, the former president of Goldman Sachs, this is the Democrat Democrats' nightmare. They are the ones that made this tax bill, and it gives to uh, the average person a you know, few hundred dollar tax break here and there, which will expire in a couple of years. And the big people, the big corporations got away with permanent tax cuts, right? And I think that's good for the economy. So I'm I'm not going to, but that's true. It's very well chronicled. 
Two last things I want to cover for you. I love Lindsey Graham. He's like the best radio guest after Trump. Trump's the best <laughs> radio guest in the world. Lindsey is funny as hell. But he's also a political theorist on page 121 explaining to the president, good versus evil is the story of the world. It's never over. It's never. You know, Lindsey is actually kind of a balancing wheel for the president. Yes. I mean, there is such wisdom out of Lin- Lindsey Graham's mouth. And that's one example because the. The, the president, like all leaders, is, you know, when is, when is uh, it going to not become dangerous? And Lindsey Graham says it's always going to be dangerous. Don't kid yourself. And then finally, this is the high. And I made lots of notes on the book. It's a great read, by the way. And uh, uh, the, the thing that comes through is the people around Trump who are most upset are those who are most invested in the world post-World War II rule of law, world order, the old rules, the old world bank rules, trade agreements, people who believe in the ordered uh, institutions of post-World War II modernity. George Schultz has articulated this to me personally at times. And Trump does not believe this. And I'm here to say, you know, 1913 arrived and no one knew that the old rules weren't going to work anymore. Maybe Trump has intuited that the the world order of the post-World War II era is over, Bob Woodward. Uh, yes, but if you take that meeting uh, in the tank last year, which I, th- I think is a window on uh, the war that's going on, you you have to, when you become president, you inherit this framework. Like Mattis says to the president in this meeting, the great gift of the greatest generation is this rules-based international democratic order. And Tillerson says this is what's kept the peace for 70 years, and they're right. And Trump is saying it's all BS. And uh, you you have to, if you move into a house and you're going to have to live there, you can't burn it down and and break all the furniture. Unless it's about to fall down. Here's my, my premise. Wait, I don't know if it's true. China is not bo- playing by that rules-based system. They, they're building artificial islands. They're buying Africa. They're using diplomacy by debt. Maybe Trump's the first guy to recognize that if the, the set, your near-peer competitor isn't playing by the rules, the rules don't mean a damn thing. Okay, but you have to live in that house of the old order. You can change it. But and presidents have changed it. My God, look at the history of the presidency uh, pivoting. And, but you can't come in and break all the China and all the furniture. You have to somehow find a way to say, okay, this is the old order. I understand it. Uh, we're going to change. And the, the three pillars of that old order are the trade deals, the security arrangements like NATO or the security arrangements where we keep 28,000 troops in South Korea, that's a lot. And then the third pillar, which we don't see much about, are the top-secret intelligence partnerships. And those are a big deal, and people like Mattis, like Gary Cohen, um, were almost broke out in hives when they discovered that the president wanted to get out of that South Korean trade deal, which is part of the whole, this special, you know uh, about this, the special access programs. There sure, are the five eyes. The, you five eyes, yep. Yeah, but, but these are the things that buy a degree of security that's central to the survival and, you know, of, of this country 
very, yeah, very important. And I agree. You, you can't come in and just break it all up and say, I want change. Change, but, effective change, needs to include a very rational process, and you can't do it in a week. It wasn't, again, Guns of August, Barbara Tuckman, Big Mattis, uh, uh, Mattis, a big Barbara Tuckman fan. Sometimes those rules change overnight and you don't know it. I got to say, once a week now, John Bolton, Jim Mattis, and Mike Pompeo are sitting down to talk about the world. I can't think of three better people. And I love Bolton. I love Pompeo. I think the president has great confidence in all three of those. But uh, outside of the White House, all is calm and managed by pros. Who do you think, replace, after you've done all this, who do you think should replace Kelly, who's clearly at the end of his 100 points, so that you bring the most order possible? Well, I, you know, I don't, uh, that's, that's out of my lane. My lane here is to report as scrupulously as I can and find out what happened. And you have uh, the political system out there that's either going to deal with the reality of Trump or not. But th- I'm, I've done this for 47 years. This is the ninth president I've done work on for the Washington Post or in books. That's 20% of the presidents we've had. And I've never seen anything like this. This is high risk and uh, let there be a crisis. You have to have a team if there's a crisis. Look at 9-11, the response to it uh, in Afghanistan and in the intelligence world. You look back on it now from 20... Uh, 18, and uh, it worked. We didn't have, we have not had another major terrorist attack in the United States. Well, I, I do trust Pompeo, Bolton, and, and Mattis. Let me ask you to conclude, though. Uh, you've covered all these presidents. You've been covering the intel community for a long time, sometimes controversially. It is clear in fear that you believe the intelligence community failed the president-elect. In fact, that it acted irresponsibly. You, you criticized Comey for including that annex. You criticized the Bureau for producing that intelligence. I don't know that anyone inside the White House knows how severe a critic you are of the intel community during the transition. I mean, you're hard on him, Bob Woodward. Yes, but they, the idea of the, a summary of that dossier you present to the president Two weeks before, well, he's president-elect, he's two weeks away from the inauguration. I know for a fact from reporting back in the Clinton days, Bernie Nussbaum, who was the White House counsel, when they brought stuff like that, I call it garbage, uh, you know what Bernie Nussbaum did? And he was Clinton's guy, and you can imagine the stuff that might have been coming in on Clinton Bernie Nussbaum put it in the burn bag. He said, you know, let's let uh, things roll on. Let's let the and the the president was quite alarmed at that. And I think it set the tone, the relationship he had with uh, the intelligence community. And uh, at one point, he said, you know, I just don't believe these human sources. These are people who sold out their community or their country. And uh, yes, I am. I, th- I think that was a giant mistake at the same Huge mistake. Time. That's the best part of the book in terms I mean, if the Trump people had read the book, they would have seized on that. Very last question, Bob Woodward. I just want to confirm 
at the end of two years of writing this book, this intensive effort, you saw no effort. No, you personally had no evidence of collusion or espionage by the president presented to you. Uh, that is correct. But here's what's in, you know where the answer to that is. See, I do on the ground reporting with real people, documents, notes, diaries. The answer to that question, where does it lie? Not in the United States. It lies in Russia. And uh, if Russia weren't Russia, I'd go there and, tr and try to report on this. But if I went there... You, you I, might not come back, Bob Woodward. Not, I mean, I wouldn't come back. <laughs> you wouldn't come back. And, and, <laughs> and so this is, this is a really interesting... Always go... They always... The joke about the bank, you know, they rob the bank because that's where the money is. As a reporter, you need to go where the information is. And in this case, the answer is in Russia. And it's out of the reach of journalists. The intel community, their report on uh, Russian meddling in the uh, 2016 election, I think, is quite strong and good and well-based. But they, you know, they can do things that reporters uh, can't do. So I, you're right. I found none. But I didn't spend a year in Russia doing the kind of reporting that would have to be done to make an assessment. Bob Woodward, Fear is a great read. I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Thank you. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. I want to talk to you for a moment about a group I've done work with for years, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. You've seen how your freedom is under attack. Go to townhallreview.com to find out how you can join Alliance Defending Freedom help ensure the opponents of freedom don't dictate your future. That's townhallreview.com. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.